Let's turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. And again, it's not because I want you guys to prove to me how spiritual you are. It's because there is tremendous benefit in doing these things. How many of you believe that it's beneficial to gather here together on Sunday mornings? Well, it's equally beneficial. Yes. It's equally beneficial to come to men's prayer on Tuesday night or women's Bible study or koinonia group. All of these things are spiritually beneficial. And the apostle Paul wrote, bodily exercise profiteth little. Now, there's a little bit of benefit in physical exercise, Paul writes, but spiritual exercise profiteth much. There's much more benefit in our spiritual exercise than our physical exercise. And yet, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a whole lot of believers who spend more time at the gym than they do in church. I can just about guarantee it, actually. Isn't that interesting? And yet, whatever muscles and stamina you build up here on earth, you won't be able to take those to heaven with you. You're going to get a brand new body anyway. All right? <laughs> First John 2. First John 2. Now, we're going to cover verses 16 and 17, but I want to back up to 15 because it really helps us with our context. So let's read verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. This is where we left off last week. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Let's pray. Father, we ask your blessing upon this time in your word, that once again your Holy Spirit would open up our hearts and minds, that you would give us insight and understanding and application as we study this passage together this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we finished last week with do not love the world or the things in the world. We talked about falling out of love with the world and falling in love with God. Because in our natural state, apart from Christ, I think we all love the world. Now, again, some people, depending upon the, the situations or circumstances that they're facing, can develop a very negative attitude towards this world and towards life. But in general... As we're born into this world and we begin to experience all the amazing things. And really, as we talked about last week, the most amazing things around us are those which are created by God. Romans chapter 1 tells us that the creation speaks of the creator, of the existence of our creator. But God has given man an incredible ability to create also. Now, the difference between us and God, God can and has created from nothing. He spoke this world into existence. He creates, what makes him God is he's able to create something from nothing. You and I need some raw materials, right? But God has given man incredible ability to build amazing things. And so as we are born into this world and we begin to grow up, we look around us and we're just, we're fascinated, we're intrigued by the, the beauty of God's creation and also by the creation of man. So in our natural state, 
I'd say I would argue we do love this world. We love it. And, of course, all those things that are attractive and appealing to our flesh, we are just naturally drawn to them. So it takes a transformation. It takes a regeneration, uh, being born again by the Spirit of God, to fall out of love with the world and to fall in love with God. In verse 16... John goes on to explain to us why we should not love the world. He says, for all that is in the world, all, because limited temporary dominion of this world has been relegated to Satan, and this world is populated with sinful men, right? And now at the beginning, we we touched on that during communion this morning at the beginning of creation, with Adam and Eve prior to their fall, God had told them, be fruitful and multiply, remember? And replenish the earth. Fill up the earth with those who would worship me. That was God's intention. But this is kind of the opposite of be fruitful and multiply. All that is in the world, and we talked about this last week, not God's creation, but the world system, which is under the temporary limited dominion of Satan because God is still in control. But all that is in the world is evil and anti-God. All that is in the world. And then he goes on to specify three specific things. One, the lust of the flesh, which can also be translated the cravings of sinful man. The lust of the flesh. All the things that our sin nature craves, things that are perverse, debased, decadent, and ungodly. Going back to Genesis again, chapter 3, verse 1, the serpent was more cunning. Again, Satan is the prince of this world. He is the mastermind of this evil world system. And he is represented here in the serpent. The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, And he said to the woman, has God indeed said? So what is Satan's M.O.? He questions the word of God. He questions what God has spoken. He sows seeds of doubt in the hearts and minds of men and women regarding the truth of God's word. Has God indeed said, we shall not eat of every tree of the garden? That's not what God said. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it. And then Eve adds her own little twist. Nor shall you touch it. God didn't say that. He just said, Don't eat it. And so, first, Satan questions the truth of God's word. Then Eve changes it. But of course, Men never try to change God's word around, do they? (laughs) You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So between Eve and the serpent, they've already gotten God's word all messed up. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. What is Satan saying? God's a liar. Wow. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, we saw this morning during communion, yes, their eyes were open to their own nakedness. But the difference between us and God, God can know good and evil, and still God can only choose good. He will never choose evil. 
He is perfect and holy and just and righteous in all of his ways. So he can know good and evil, but not be sucked in by evil. Man is not like that. We can know good and evil, but we can also readily, willingly choose the wrong path, can we not? As Adam and Eve did. They chose the wrong path. So you have the lust of the flesh to deal with. All that is in the world. We're not to love the world. And here's all that is in the world. One, the lust of the flesh. We've got to watch out for that. Those sinful desires that can really grab a hold of us and drag us in the wrong direction. James talks about that in the first chapter of his book. He uses fishing and hunting terminology to talk about how we can be trapped and baited by our own desires. James chapter 1. Secondly, we read here about the lust of the eyes. And that's one of the reasons Jesus told the disciples, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. Better to enter heaven with one eye than to enter hell with two eyes. The Bible says the eyes are the window to the soul. And windows are two ways. They look in, they look out, right? The lust of the eyes. When we look upon God's creation through fleshly eyes, that which was intended to be beautiful and good becomes evil, ugly, and distorted. Love, for example. What the world calls love is really lust. God's idea of love, we've talked about it so many times here, what the world considers love is feelings, emotions, urges, desires, the lusts of the flesh. But in the Bible, from God's perspective, love is a commitment. Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. The ultimate expression of love, if necessary, is to lay down your life for someone. That's not a feeling, that's a commitment. The lust of the eyes. So whether it be what God calls love versus what the world calls love, when we look upon someone and we say, wow, I love them. Are you in love or are you in lust? And that comes into the area of physical intimacy. God created it to be a beautiful thing between one man and one woman, right? Right? For life. And when you do it God's way, it can't be anything but beautiful. But when you do it man's way, it becomes ugly and dirty and distorted. Herbs and flowers of the field that God has given us for beauty, for health, and so forth. But when you take those herbs and flowers of the field and turn them into hallucinogenic drugs, then you're dealing with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. Music. Music can be a beautiful thing, a very soothing thing, a very comforting thing, an inspiring thing, encouraging thing. But again, it can either inspire you spiritually and encourage you spiritually, or it can do the opposite. It can stir up the flesh, as it were. And that's why, of course, probably every generation had its complaints about the music of the younger generation. And of course, it really became a major issue in the 50s when rock and roll was born and you've got Elvis the pelvis up there <laughs> gyrating, right? And all the uh, parents and the older folks are complaining that 
uh, this music was going to cause teenagers to do things they shouldn't do. And as much as I hate to admit it, in many ways they were right. Everything that God has created to be beautiful can be distorted, perverted, polluted by the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. If we look upon God's creation through the eyes of the Holy Spirit, we can enjoy it in its true beauty. But if we look through the eyes of the flesh, it becomes ugly, evil, and distorted. Three things in Genesis 3, 6. We stopped with verse 5. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that one, the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh. Now again, God created us with a hunger drive. We have certain drives that we were created with, but again, those can be abused and misused. She saw with her eyes, lust of the eyes, the tree was good for food, appealing to her flesh, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. See, now, the interesting thing is that while all three of Eve's observations were correct, the tree was good for food. It was pleasant to the eyes. It was desirable to make one wise. But the underlying problem was the fact that God had prohibited man and woman from partaking of this fruit because Father knows best. And he knew what they could handle and what they couldn't handle. You might look upon another person's husband or wife and you might find them to be pleasant, desirable. Physically, mentally, in some way that they appeal to you. But by the way, they're somebody else's husband or wife. They're not yours. They're, they're not yours for the taking. Someone else's car. You could admire it, appreciate it. But the Bible clearly says we should not covet or desire someone else's property their car, their house, what have you. Exodus 20, 14, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. And then verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, man, that's a good-looking ox, <laughs> nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. And so one of the ways that we can discern whether perhaps we are beginning to fall into the trap of loving the world, are we doing that? Are we coveting? Are we desiring that which someone else has? Are we desiring to uh, have something or utilize something in a way other than the way God intended it? These are ways in which we can measure the depth or lack thereof in terms of our love for the world. Thirdly, John mentions here the pride of life. The boasting of what one has and does. Pride of one's own possessions, one's own accomplishments, the pride of one's own appearance, the pride of life. You know, musical examples would be Frank Sinatra's song, I Did It My Way. Billy Joel, This Is My Life, Go Ahead With Your Own Life, Leave Me Alone. The pride of life, the self-made man or woman. John tells us that these qualities, these characteristics, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, he says, is not of 
or comes not from the Father, but is of or from the world. So then, if someone's life is characterized by these things, if the lust of the flesh is ruling over you, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, then it's safe to say that that person does not come from the Father, but from the world. These things come not from the Father, but from the world. Therefore, if someone is engrossed, engulfed, controlled by these things, then they are not of the Father, but of the world. And there's a big problem with that. Why is John so concerned about this? And when he's writing to his dear children, his little children, including us, because we're also God's children. Well, he tells us here in verse 17, the world is passing away and the lust of it. So, if you're in love with the world, you're in love with something that is in the process of ceasing to exist, passing away, being no more. Those who are affiliated with the world or in love with the world, if you will, and the things that are in it, should plan on passing away with it. Luke 21, 33, heaven and earth will pass away, says Jesus, but my words will by no means pass away. John's been teaching us here in the, his epistle of 1 John that to love God is to obey him, to walk in the light, walk in the truth. His words will by no means pass away. If we hitch our wagon, if you will, to the truth of God's word and the person of Jesus Christ, then we will not pass away because his words will by no means pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. We'll look at that more in just a moment. James 1.10, the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. So again, the person who's putting all their hope, all their trust in the things of this world and worldly, earthly riches is going to pass away like a wild flower. I told you a little while ago, all your strength and muscles that you gain from going to the gym every day and working out, you can't take those to heaven with you. God's going to level the playing field. I'm going to have the same body as a bodybuilder. <laughs> or the bodybuilder's going to have the same body as me. Now, that's kind of scary. <laughs> it's like that old joke. Guy has a withered hand. He says, Father... Please make my hand like the other one. <laughs> Heard that when I was a kid. Of course, we know that's not what he intended, and God would never do that. But it's funny. Another example of how you have to be very specific in your prayers. Father, please make my withered hand like my good hand. If you want specific answers, pray specific prayers. 2 Peter 3.12, we're told to be looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. How do we hasten the coming of the day of God? By looking for it, by being focused on it, by sharing our faith, letting others know, hey, Jesus is coming soon, man, you better get ready. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God by living a godly life in Christ Jesus as an example to others, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Now what's going to happen? 
Rapture of the church, boom, we're out of here. Seven years of tribulation, the earth decimated. Christ returns with his church to establish his kingdom on the earth for 1,000 years, the millennial kingdom of Christ on the earth. This is just a quick snapshot of end times eschatology prophecy. Rapture, tribulation, seven years, 1,000-year reign of Christ on earth. This same earth that you and I are standing on or sitting on right now will be rejuvenated with Christ on the throne ruling over the whole earth. So everybody's getting all worked up about climate change and ecology. The only one that can fix this is Jesus. And he's going to. By the way, have any of you in this room actually noticed any significant climate change? And we, that's all we hear day and night. Well, Satan is in charge of this world system. He's the father of all lies, and he's got a lot of mouthpieces out there. I don't see hundreds, thousands, millions of people dropping dead from radical climate change. Do you? You think somebody's lying? You think somebody's deceiving? And by the way, the same folks that are telling you, here we go, folks, Gary's off on it again. But I don't like being lied to, and the devil is the father of all lies. And I'm not going to put up with it. Because the same people that are telling you the world is going to cease to exist in 12 years because of climate change, it's going to cease to exist in seven years because of tribulation. That's what's going to happen. I don't know which seven-year period, but I believe it's going to be very soon. But the same people that are telling you that if we don't stop driving cars and flying in airplanes and eating hamburgers. You know, one of the wisest men I've ever encountered who was not a real person, his name is Forrest Gump. And he said, stupid is as stupid does. And we've got some very stupid people out there in charge of our country. I'm glad God's in charge of my life. I won't trust these people as far as I can throw them. They're the same ones that are telling you that it's perfectly okay to kill a baby after it's already been born. Now, it doesn't get much more evil than that. And so if that's the same person telling me that the world is going to end because of climate change, then they're full of baloney. It's just another excuse to take everything away from us, take all of our money, and put us into bondage. Jesus died to set us free. There was a guy named Patrick Henry once who said, give me liberty or give me death. I wonder how many people today are willing to take that same stand. Jesus died for our freedom. Many women, men and women who have gone before us have died for our freedom in this nation. How many today would be willing to do that if necessary? Interesting thought. All right, enough of our political ramblings for today, or maybe not. We'll see. Okay, Revelation 21.1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The good news, yes, at the end of the millennium, God is going to destroy this present creation. The heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, but then he's going to create a brand new heaven and a new earth 
for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And that's why Jesus said, the world is passing away and the lust of it. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. And the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. Here's the part I really like. The second part of 1 John 2.17. He who does the will of God abides or lives forever. The opposite of loving this world and the things that are in it is to do the will of God. To know him is to love him and to love him is to obey him. The opposite of living forever is to pass away. That is to spend eternity separated from God in a place of continuous torment. And as I was thinking about this, maybe we should be very careful about how we use the term he or she passed away. (laughs) Because if it's a believer, the Bible says they're asleep. Those who know God never pass away. Those who do not know him surely will pass away. And so obviously John is warning, issuing a warning here to his dear children. In particular, as we saw last week, the spiritual fathers in the church, the, the elders, the leaders, as well as the young men. He addressed those two groups specifically. And then he addressed the whole group, little children. But the spiritual fathers, the young men who are up and coming spiritual leaders, here's the warning. Watch out. And again, if this wasn't an issue for us, John wouldn't be talking about it. If the idea was that once you became a believer, you're born again, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, never ever again do you ever have to worry about loving this world. No, it's something we will struggle with throughout our earthly lives. Just as Adam and Eve struggled with the attractiveness of that fruit that they were told not to eat. John is issuing a warning here. Watch out that you don't fall out of love with God and fall in love with this world. So the question is, is this a possibility? Is this a danger for true believers? Could this happen? Having been born again, falling in love with God, is it possible to fall out of love with God and once again fall in love with this world? 2 Timothy 4.9, Paul writes to Timothy, Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, why? Having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. But this gentleman Demas in particular has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Maybe the missionary life was not for him. He missed the comforts and pleasures of home. He missed his family. He missed his friends. Whatever it was, the reason Demas turned away from Paul, and and Paul uh, needed support. He had multiple imprisonments, multiple stonings and beatings and shipwrecks. Paul is arguably the predominant apostle of the New Testament, but he didn't do it alone. He had friends and associates who worked alongside of him and supported him and encouraged him and helped him in his ministry. And this guy departed having loved this present world. So yes, it is possible 
if we're not careful, if we're not watchful, if we're not diligent to get sucked back in to a love for this world. In the same way, if someone's not careful and diligent in their marriage, they, we know it happens all the time. People have affairs. People commit adultery. Well, we, we looked at that verse in James last week where God refers to people being spiritual adulterers and adulteresses, being unfaithful to him. Revelation 2, 1 through 4. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, that's Jesus, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, the seven churches of Asia Minor, all alight to their communities. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you've tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Man, that's a church. Did you follow me with that description of this church of Ephesus? This is an incredible church. But, nevertheless, Jesus says, in spite of all these good things, I have this against you. That's something we never want to hear, but sometimes we need to hear it. You have left your first love. What would cause someone who loved God to forsake that love, a love for the world and the things in it? That's the only explanation. Having fallen in love with God, having met God through His Son, Jesus Christ, having been born again by the Spirit of God, filled with the Spirit, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. What could possibly cause someone to fall out of love with God? Falling back in love with the world. And again, as a pastor and being involved in counseling and so forth over many years, I've seen it time and time again where people might be at a not, it's not such a good place in their marriages. There are struggles, there are issues. But it's almost always when another person enters the picture the line is crossed and the bond is broken. People can go on for a long time in unhappy relationships, but the moment someone else comes along and you fall in love with that person, it's that much easier to cut ties with the one that you've been committed to. Falling out of love with God and falling in love with the world. That's why we have to be diligent to guard our hearts and our minds. Revelation 2, 5, the first part of the verse. Remember the height, Jesus says to the church of Ephesus, from which you have fallen, the pinnacle, the peak, the very height and epitome of Christian faith is love, agape. Remember the height from which you've fallen. That is the thing to be aspired to more than anything else. Matthew 12, 30, 31. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Love God. Love your neighbor. Everything else comes after that. 1 Peter 4, 8. I talk about this verse all the time. Above all things, have fervent love for one another. 
for love will cover a multitude of sins. 1 Corinthians 13, 1, the love chapter. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, in some groups, if you don't do that, you're really not really a Christian, which is not biblical, but there are some who put that legalistic twist on it. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. You're just a bunch of noise. You might look spiritual to those around you. You might think you're really spiritual because you can speak in tongues. But if you don't have love, God says it's a bunch of noise. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains. This sounds like the church at Ephesus. Man, this is heavy-duty stuff. If you can do that, you must be really spiritual. But have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me. You could even be martyred. You could die for Christ. But according to Paul, who's writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, if you don't have love, it profits me nothing. So what does Jesus tell the church of Ephesus? Revelation 2.5b, repent and do the things you did at first. That means to turn. turn. Turn from this path that you're now on where you have left your first love. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Turn from your good works mentality, which is what the church of Ephesus had fallen into. They were doing all the right things, but for the wrong reasons, because they had left their first love. Turn from your good works mentality and return to loving God and loving one another. Jesus says, if you don't repent, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. A church or a believer, an individual believer, either one, a whole church or an individual believer with no light, that's been a prevailing theme in this epistle of 1 John, walking in the light. A believer with no light is totally useless and ineffective for God's kingdom. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world, Jesus says. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. What does Jesus say? Repent, or I'm going to remove your lampstand. And it gives light to who, all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Again, the good works that are a result of your love relationship with God and with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, a major theme here in 1 John is walking in the light. Walking as Jesus walked. Walking as Jesus walks. To walk as Jesus walks is to walk in the light. To walk in the light is to walk in love. To walk in love is to walk in the light. I said that. To walk in the light is to walk in love. They go hand in hand. So now... The opposite of that would be to love this world is to walk in what? Darkness. And we all know that walking in darkness doesn't end well, does it? Interesting lyrics from a, a group that I have followed over the years. A group called ABBA, by the way. I know that a lot of people are skeptical, but they really were very talented musicians, songwriters. They have a song called Love Light. It says, I've always hated my room. It's so gloomy and dreary. Always the dark for the windows just face the backyard. So I can't understand how it's happened, how everything's changing. This old dirty ceiling seems a little whiter. When you walked into the room, it all got so much brighter. 
you must have a love light. Everything around you is love light, and I can feel your love everywhere. This fits perfectly with our relationship with God. Maybe even when you're not there, the love light, everything around you is love light. You're shining like a star in the night. I won't let you out of my sight. I don't want to lose you. I don't want to lose your love light. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for these words from the great apostle of love and so much more. John the Beloved, John the Apostle, John the Revelator. Father, he has such deep truths for us to apprehend, to comprehend, to digest. And yet there is a simplicity to it as well. Because you've given us your word in such a way that we can all understand it. Because you want us to understand it. You don't want it to be hidden. You don't want it to be a mystery. You've revealed these truths to us so that we can indeed walk in the light as he is in the light. Father, we ask for your help. Lord, we recognize that there's this constant struggle and battle that we deal with to keep in a love relationship with you and not be distracted by the things of this world. So we ask you to help us, Lord, like that church in Ephesus, to whatever degree it applies to each one of us here today. Father, there may be some in that same place that have lost or turned from their first love. Could be any one of us, Lord. Any one of us are capable of falling out of love with you and falling in love with this world if we don't guard our hearts and our minds daily. So, Lord, to whatever degree it applies to each one of us here today, may we even now take up that challenge from your Holy Spirit to repent to do the works we did at first, which were born out of our love for you. Lord, help us to return to our first love and to stay in love with you as we walk in the light, walk in the truth, looking for, anticipating that day when we will be like you when we see you face to face. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.